Welcome to High Cheese with Darren Maloney. Today is Friday, November 4th, 2022, and welcome to our prediction episode. Now, I'm going to give you predictions on the outcome of the midterm elections, but remember, this is all contingent on you coming out and vote. Now, everybody's talking about a wet red wave and how the Republicans are going to take over, and they will, but you have to come out and vote. They mean nothing without the vote of the American people next Tuesday. So just remember that. If you're watching TV or you're listening to me and everything sounds good, oh, I don't have to come out and vote. We got it. No. That's not how this works. We only win when you come out and vote. So remember that. Okay, so here's my prediction for the House. I think that the House is clearly going to turn red. And I think that the Republicans will pick up at least 50 seats in the House. There's such a tremendous run against the Democrats right now and such positive, positive momentum for the Republicans. And then when you factor in historically the party that's out of power and usually does well in the midterms, it looks good for the Republicans. So on the House side, I'm predicting a very good day. Everyone's talking about these bellwether districts. And a lot of people are overlooking the district where I am volunteering, District CD11 in New Jersey. Paul DeGroote versus Mikey Sherrill. Mikey Sherrill is the incumbent Democrat, and Paul DeGroote is the Republican challenger. Now, well, let me give you a little history on CD11. CD11 was a Republican seat. For a number of years, Rodney Frawlingheisen sat in that seat for a number of years. And what happened is uh, he retired. And during the 2018 election, Mikey Sherrill won, a Democrat. Now, since Mikey Sherrill won, that district has been gerrymandered to increase the Democrat representation by, I think, 20 percent, 17 to 20 percent. So if you get an opportunity to take a look at CD11 on election night, and if DeGroote wins, or if DeGroote comes close, it's going to be a very, very good night for the Republicans nationwide. So again, remember that it's CD11. Take a look at that during the night, during election night, and see how that is working out. And it'll give you a really, really good idea where the nation is headed. Okay, let's go to the Senate. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get specific with each of the key races in the Senate, and I'll give you my prediction. And then at the very end of this analysis, I'm going to uh, give you what I think the makeup of the Senate is going to be. So let's first start with Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania has always been very hard to predict. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, uh, the corrupt Democrat machines in, Pencil- uh, in Philadelphia and in the urban areas, Pittsburgh. And what they're able to do because of their cheating is they're able to get out a, a, a higher vote for the Democrats in all these years. And, that, and as I've said in my past episode, I think this will be mitigated for a number of reasons. And I'll get into it. So... Here's what we have. We have Oz versus Fetterman 
Oz is coming on strong. And as I've said in the past, is that once you start falling in the polls, late in the election cycle, even with their polls, which is what Fetterman is doing now, very hard to win. And that's what's been happening in Pennsylvania. Oz has been coming on strong. The race has been tightening up in these polls. And I'm looking at the real clear politics average of polls from October 27th to November 3rd. Fetterman is up 0.2%. Now, you have to understand is that this 0.2% includes all these bogus Democratic polls. And as I've always said, that in general, lop off five, about 5% for the Democrats in these polls. So this, these polls and these averages also include Trafalgar, which is a very good uh, polling company. But the, this number, this 0.2% number also includes the bogus Democratic polls. I think that Philadelphia, the urban areas, Pittsburgh, they're not going to come out strong for Fetterman. There's some weakness there. And because of that weakness, these, these illegal votes are going to be tamped down. Because in order to cheat in these urban areas, you need motivated people. And if they're not motivated for a candidate, you know, they'll just go through the motions. They'll take your money, but they may not produce the numbers that you're expecting. And I think that's what's happening here in Philadelphia with Fetterman. He's not going to be able to pull out this vote that cheats. And that's why I think that you heard Oprah come out. I think Fetterman was desperate. So they finally got Oprah to come out and endorse Fetterman. And of all the despicable things that you can do, after listening to that debate, after seeing this physical giant that is just uh, looks like an ogre, that couldn't put a sentence together, that couldn't put a coherent thought together, you're endorsing this guy? So I think what happens, they think that if they get Oprah's endorsement, that it will be able to pump up Philadelphia. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, the, on the plus side for Oz is that you've got Kathy Burnett. She came out and endorsed Oz a couple, a couple weeks ago. And that will bring, it, bring in the Trump vote, the MAGA vote, or help bring in the MAGA vote. The other thing you have to realize, too, is that Oz has also received the endorsement of the Pittsburgh Gazette, for whatever that's worth. But that just gives you an indication of what's going on in these urban areas. The Pittsburgh Gazette came out and endorsed Oz. And again, it, it kind of lends a hand to my idea that the urban areas are not going to come out as strong uh, for Fetterman. You've got the Mastriano factor. Now, you look in the polls, Mastriano is down quite a bit. You know, everybody's saying that, um, what I mean by quite a bit, I think the average is like about 11 points it's that he's down, if you look at the real clear politics. But Mastriano is clearly going to pull out the MAGA vote. And that MAGA vote doesn't show up in polls. And that's why I think the Pennsylvania gubernatorial race is going to be very close. I think Mastriano is going to surprise everyone. But I also think that Mastriano is going to help Oz indirectly by pulling out these additional MAGA votes. Now, you certainly hope in this case that the uh, MAGA comes out and just votes right down the Republican line. And that's what uh, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. And additionally, too, a recent poll came out, too, is that, you know, you got to understand Trump is beating Biden in the most recent poll. And this is a poll that came out. I forgot who it was from, but 
Recent poll has Trump beating Biden by three points. And Trump will be out in Latrobe, Pennsylvania this weekend, stumping for Oz. And one last thing I wanted to point out, there was a recent Supreme Court decision that said that uh, mail-in ballots have to be completely filled out, including the date, or they will be rejected. Now, what happened in 2020 is that these mail-in ballots were not completely filled out, yet these election boards accepted these ballots. But the Supreme Court came in recently and said, no, Pennsylvania, no, do not accept ballots that do not have a date on them. So undated ballots will not be accepted in Pennsylvania. So again, this sends a message to those that cheat, that those want to ballot harvest. There's eyes watching and the Supreme Court's involved. And again, I think that's going to help tamp down the illegal vote from these democratic machines. And when I talk about these democratic machines, I don't mean the physical voting machine. It's the organization that I'm referring to when I call them machines. So with that said, I expect an Oz win, pretty close race, so we shall see. Okay, let's go down to the Georgia election. Uh, Herschel Walker versus Warnock. This can be summed up by the politics of personal destruction. Now, Herschel Walker is a hero down in Georgia, just a tremendous, tremendous football player. And they've decided to attack him personally. So they trotted out two women claiming that Herschel either forced them to have an abortion, paid for them to have an abortion, or put a lot of pressure on them to have an abortion. Walker is very much anti-abortion. Now, the real clear politics average from October 21st to 11-2 have Walker up 0.4%. And as I stated before, this 0.4% includes a lot of bogus Democratic polls. And the question is going to be whether this goes into a runoff or not. Now, Georgia's unique uh, in the sense that they have runoffs. If uh, the candidate, if neither candidate gets 50% or more, they have a runoff. But the question is whether it goes to a runoff. Now, I think that Walker's going to win this one. And the question is, is that will he get 50% or more of the vote, which would prevent a runoff? Now, I think he will. I think Walker's going to win. And I do think that Walker is going to get 50% or more of the vote. And here's the one thing. I do think that there are policy issues that put somebody over the top, and then there are emotional issues that put people over the top. And Vince Dooley passed away recently. Vince Dooley was the endeared football coach of Georgia for a number of years. And he was there when Herschel Walker played. And he was there when they won the national championship. Now, they recently won the national championship, but they also won the national championship, I think it was in 1980, 1980, 81, when Herschel Walker was a football player there. And what that tends to do, it tends to remind people that, yeah, this guy Herschel Walker was, yeah, he was a heck of a football player. And there wasn't, weren't those great times that we had when Georgia won the national championship? We sat down on Saturday afternoon and watched Herschel Walker play. And on the margins, this kind of feel-good mentality is going to help 
Herschel Walker. You know, I, ha- I hate to came at, you know, I hate to say it came at the expense of Vince Dooley passing away, but you know, this is helpful to Herschel. And finally, I just wanted to point out two things. One is that Georgia, I think, is about five percent more Republican than Democrat. And with that said, I, you know, I think that the uh, the Republican moniker on Herschel will tend to draw those additional Republicans to to him. And then there's also Brian Kemp. And Brian Kemp is doing very, very well in the polls. And there probably is going to be some coattails uh, with Kemp to the benefit of Walker. So again, with that said, just uh, I just wanted to say that my expectation is, is that Walker wins and he wins with over 50%. So we shall see. Okay, let's head up north to New Hampshire, where Don Balduck, the Republican, is running against Maggie Hassan, the Democrat. And the real clear politics average from October 18th through November 1st is Hassan is up by 0.8%. And again, it's one of these cases where Balduck is coming on really strong at the very end. And as I've always said, is that if you, particularly if you're an incumbent like Hassan is and, and your opponent is really surging, you know, it doesn't look good for you. Uh, again, Baldick is Trump endorsed. Uh, Trump endorsed him, I think, a week or two ago, and uh, he is coming across as a really good candidate. He engages the uh, the people very well. He is very good in debates, and for that reason, I'm going to give him the, the upset victory. You know, right now it's considered an upset, but I think that he's going to pull this out. And again, one of the reasons I think he's going to pull this out is because. Uh, the gubernatorial candidate, Sununo, is up 19% in his campaign for governor. And I think there's going to be some coattails there. So with that said, New Hampshire is going to go Republican. So we shall see. And I just want to go to Wisconsin right now and talk about it for a minute, because early on, I really thought this was going to be an extremely competitive race. Uh, but then it turned out that um, Barnes, the Democratic candidate, Turned out to be a quasi-communist. He's come out and said some extremely outrageous things. How we have to change capitalism. How capitalism causes racism. Just really, really off-the-wall stuff. And people have caught on to this. And with that said, Johnson, the incumbent, is up 3.2%, the RCP average. So... At first, you know, this was supposedly hotly contested, but it's turned out that uh, Johnson is going to win. Now let's go out west to Arizona. Blake Masters versus Mark Kelly. And the real clear politics average from October 26 to November 2nd has Kelly up 1%. And this came before the Libertarian candidate, dropped out of the race and endorsed Blake Masters. Now, you know, give or take, you know, half a percentage that a point that uh, this Libertarian candidate was pulling maybe about 3% of the vote. Now, I'm not sure all of that 3% is going to go to Blake Masters, but I'm sure a significant number of those voters are going to go with uh, Blake Masters. And in a very tight race, it uh, can be helpful. And again, this is one of the, the, these cases where Masters has been coming on strong. So since uh, October 24th, Kelly went from a 6% lead over Masters down to a 1% lead today. And again, 
my prediction is that Masters is going to win this race in a close race. It's going to be a very close race. But I think that the uh, Carrie Lake coattails are going to help on this. And I think Carrie Lake are, will be able to help pull Masters over. While we're out in the West, let's go to Nevada. Laxalt v. Cortez Maestro. And the real clear politics average from October 20th to October 29th have Laxalt up 1.9%. Laxalt has been leading in the polls, for most polls, for the longest time. And that concerns me because I think Nevada is corrupt. You know, they've got the casinos out there. They've got the unionized uh, uh, workers out there, and they're capable of doing anything. Let me rephrase that. I have nothing against the union workers. What I do is I have a, a concern about the heads of those unions and their corruptness and what they, they're capable of pulling. Now, additionally, Trump is beating Biden in Nevada by five percentage points, the last poll I looked at. So I don't want people to get lazy out there. Anyone in Nevada that's listening, you have to come out and vote. All the polls are going your way, but don't stay home. And if any union workers listen to me, don't listen to your, the people in the offices. Listen to yourself. So with that said, I think Laxalt is still going to pull this off, and we shall see. So Vance should beat Ryan in Ohio, and Bud should beat Beasley in North Carolina. And with that said, after all is said and done, I think that the Republicans, they will go from 50 seats to 54 seats. And control of the Senate with that. And before I go on this topic, I just, uh, one or one campaign intrigues me. It's Colorado, where you have Joe O'Day, a rhino, versus Michael Bennett, the incumbent Democrat. So I'm just kind of curious to see what happens there. I want to see if a rhino could upset anyone in Colorado. The last poll I saw from Real Clear Politics on this is from October 3rd, and it had Bennett up by 5.3%. So, if O'Day does upset Bennett, it's something I'd like to talk about in future episodes. So we shall see. Okay, I'm finished with the Senate, and I just wanted to go to uh, four gubernatorial races, uh, New York, Michigan, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. And I just wanted to give you my predictions on each of those. And I've already come out and I've already said that uh, Mastriano is going to have a huge upset over Shapiro in Pennsylvania. And I also think that Lee Zeldin is going to upset Hochul in New York. Now, I got to tell you, I, I, Hochul is an awful candidate. She made some real bonehead plays. The first one was during their debate when she turned to Zeldin and said, and they were talking about crime, and, he, and she turns to Zeldin and said, well, why is that so important to you? What are you worried about that for? She just tried to fluff off the whole issue of crime, which is probably the number one issue in New York. And then she doubles down on that, and she goes on some talk show or some MSNBC-type show and says that the Republicans are pushing a conspiracy that there's a lot of crime. Something along those lines. It's two major blunders. I don't think she can recover from it. I, I, I highly doubt that New York City, with all the crime that's going on in New York City, how can anyone vote for her right now? Now, you're going to get your party people. 
you're going to have your Democratic machine come out. So I think Zeldin's going to win a close race. In Michigan, you know, I just don't know enough about Michigan to really make a determination on that. The one thing I do know is that during the debates, Whitmer made a big blunder. Well, when she said students were only out for three months during COVID, which was clearly not true. And she got called out on this by both sides of the aisle. But I still don't know enough about Michigan to make a prediction on that. And then we have Oregon. We have the Republican Drazen winning. And again, I don't know enough about Oregon, but the polls are telling me that she's going to pull this out. So I'm going to go with Drazen. And like I always said, we shall see. You know, this case with Paul Pelosi just keeps on getting more bizarre. And with that said, I want to play a clip. And it's from an NBC report that was taken down later from its website. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. Craig, good morning. When officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today, they initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high priority call on their hand. What was unclear, what was happening inside the property just behind me. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of blood. And the reporter's name was Miguel Almagar. And NBC later said that uh, this report did not meet NBC standards. This is just absolutely bizarre, this whole thing, which calls for all videos to be released. The police cam, security cam, the Capitol Police cam, that should all be released. The public needs to know what is going on here. They need to know answers. I mean, I just find it bizarre. You've got the Capitol Police monitoring this house 3,000 miles away. And nobody was watching while it went on. Nobody saw this guy break in. We need to see that video. We need to see the police cam video. We need to see the security cam video. Just so we can take a step in the right direction on getting the truth here. Because no one knows what the truth is. First reports are that a third party was there, let them in. Oh, no, no, no. Now it's Paul Pelosi let the cops in. Oh, no, no, we're taking that report down. They said Paul Pelosi let the cops in. Well, who let the cops in? Now, apparently there was also a security guard next door that saw the guy walk by dressed up in black clothing. But he let the guy go. He didn't say anything. Not my job. I'm only here to protect this house. Well, why was the security system not working at the Pelosi house? 
They got a security system. Why well, didn't all these bells and whistles go off when the security system was breached? And then what I find bizarre is that the 911 call included a statement from Paul Pelosi that said, yes, my friend David is here with me, something along those lines. Now, the mass media edited that out when they released it to the press. So I think we've got some type of cover-up going on here. And what are they covering up? Now, we've all heard rumors that Paul Pelosi is gay, and this could have been a gay tryst that went wrong. Or was it a weak attempt at an October surprise? Because all the subsequent releases from the Department of Justice and the FBI and this guy, DePape, who is an illegal alien from Canada. kind of They're weaving a story about this guy, DePape, is some type of MAGA-type person. You see some of the comments that uh, they were releasing that he said, oh, he was likening himself to the founding fathers. He was willing to die for his cause. You know, all these, all these twisting of comments to make it look like he was some something related to MAGA. And I know how these guys work at the Department of Justice and the FBI. They can, they can put words into anybody's mouth just by the questioning, the type of questioning, the leading questions that they, they ask some of these suspects. So if they wanted to get some type of response from the pape that uh, had him mention the founding fathers, he's Canadian. He's not even American. But they can get it if they want. They can get a comment out of a guy like this if they want it. So we need more answers. This is just absolutely bizarre. A- a- absolutely bizarre. And we need to know what the answer is. Because this, this is the husband of the Speaker of the House. He's a public figure. She's a public figure. We need to know where our taxpayer money is going. With security. So I know what's going on right now. You've got the mass media, and you've got the White House, and you've got the Speaker's office sitting there trying to weave a story that they can get out of this. Because something bad went on other than the fact that Pelosi got hit in the head with a hammer. There is some kind of weird intent out of this whole thing, and we need to know what the answer is. We need to get to the bottom of this. Not them, but the American people. And unfortunately, I don't think this story is going away. So we shall see. In my last episode, I spoke about Jim Cramer, the financial maven from CNBC that had a meltdown on air, asking for everybody's forgiveness. Because several months ago, he had told everybody to buy Facebook slash Meta. And since that time, several months ago, the stock has collapsed. I think it's lost 75% of its value since he said buy it. And this is the same Jim Cramer that six, seven months ago said that This is the best economy I'm aware of. This is the best market I'm aware of. And this was right after the White House had sent notice to its minions to, hey, listen, we have to talk about the economy. We got to make the economy look good. And Kramer was out there saying, this is a great economy. This is a great market. And what happened? Since then, the market's collapsed. And so what did Kramer do? He whined. He said I was wrong. But he was only wrong because he listened to the wrong people. And he asked for a hug from the host. He had teary eyes and everything. And my point at the last episode is that they see it coming. These people see it coming. There is going to be some accountability once the Republicans get in office. And this is the strategy that Kramer's using. It's better to get forgiveness than permission. 
if I whine and I cry enough, people will forgive me. And with that said, I just want to go to an article in The Atlantic, and it's by Emily Oster, an economist from Brown University. And the title of the article in The Atlantic is Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. And essentially what she's saying is that, well, you know, a lot of people got it wrong. All of our experts got it wrong, but we shouldn't try to keep a scorecard with that. We have to move on. We have to forget that they were wrong because it's better. Oh, really? Why is it better? Oh, we don't want to hold people accountable. Well, you know why? Because she's part of the elite class. She doesn't want to have her cohorts being scrutinized and being held accountable. So let me read a little bit from her article. It goes here. She says here, given the amount of uncertainty, almost every position was taken on every topic. And on every topic, someone was eventually proved right and someone else was proved wrong. In some instances, the right people were right for the wrong reasons. And in other instances, they had a prescient understanding of the available information. She's watering this thing down. Don't you remember the pandemic? The science tells us we have to shut down the schools. The science tells us we have to shut down the beaches. Science tells us we have to shut down our economies. And then she goes on. The people who got it right, for whatever reason, may want to gloat. Those who got it wrong, for whatever reason, may feel defensive and retrench into a position that doesn't accord with all the facts. All of this gloating and defensiveness continue to gobble up a lot of social energy and to drive the culture wars, especially on the internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. In the face of too much uncertainty, getting something right had a hefty element of luck. And similarly, getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing. Treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which some people racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward. See, don't look back. Let's move forward. Because if you look back, You'll see that I was wrong. You'll see that the elites were wrong. That's what Oster's telling us here. But again, they see it. The Republicans are going to be holding people accountable. And I just, uh, there was an article in the Post that came out. I guess Jim Jordan dropped a thousand page document about the corruption going on in the FBI. I haven't read the document. But this is what's coming. This is what's coming come January. And these so-called pushers of pop science, political science, the ones that ruined our kids, the ones that ruined people's health, they're going to be held accountable. But according to Oster, oh, no, let's not do it. Let's move forward. Too much negativity is bad. We don't want to keep a scorecard. Oh, yes, we do. Because that's how you find out who's right and who's wrong. So we shall see. Okay, Donald Trump was in... Sioux City, Iowa last night. And with that said, I'm going to play a few clips from his rally. So let's go to the clips and then we'll come back. And it's all coming from Washington, D.C. You know that there's only one choice to end this madness. If you support the decline and fall of America, then vote for the radical left Democrats. It's very simple. And if you want to stop destruction, save our country and save the American dream, then this Tuesday, you must vote Republican in a giant red wave. Giant red wave. Right? 
Instead of doubling the number of IRS agents, we should double the number of ICE and Border Patrol agents. Those are great people, Border Patrol, ICE, and they, uh, they don't get the kind of respect, and neither does law enforcement. We have to give law enforcement back. We were doing things on crime that nobody thought were possible, but we're going to have to think about doing it again very shortly, aren't we, huh? And if we're going to make America great again, we first have to make America safe again. If you want safety for your family and security for your community, you need to throw every Democrat the hell out of office and vote for Republicans up and down the line. Whatever you do, they'll get out and vote. And if you care about election integrity, volunteers, an election worker, poll watcher, or poll challenger, we need you. This is the year we're going to take back the House. We're going to take back the Senate. We're going to take back America. And in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our magnificent White House, right? We're going to take it back. We are a nation that has lost its way, but we are not going to allow this horror to continue. Two years ago, we were a great nation, and we will soon be a great nation again. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. Now, I was reading an article from Axios, and it said that uh, November 14th is the tentative date that Trump is going to announce his candidacy. So we shall see. Okay, let's uh, switch to the markets. And this week, the Fed came out, raised interest rates, another 75 basis points. And Chairman Powell said in a press conference that he will continue to raise interest rates until inflation is beat. And with that said, the uh, market was down for the week. Uh, it was very volatile, uh, as it's always been this year. And let me just read a quick article from uh, CNBC. And it says here, stocks rallied on Friday, but finished the week lower as investors drew conflicting conclusions about what the latest payroll numbers mean for future Federal Reserve rate hikes. The Dow Jones average gained 401 points or 1.2% to close at 32,403.22. The S&P advanced 1.36% to settle at 3,770.55. And the NASDAQ composite rose 1.28% to finish at 10,475.25. All the major averages capped off the week with losses. The Dow shed 1.4% for the week. And the S&P and NASDAQ fell 3.35% and 5.65% respectively for the week. Uh, uh, And this breaks a two-week winning streaks for the NASDAQ and the S&P. And uh, year-to-date, all the markets are down significantly, just significantly. Let's take a look at next week on the calendar for the economic calendar next week. Listen, the most important thing right now for you is the election on Tuesday. Um, But let me just point out, next week, the CPI numbers come out next Thursday. So with that said, thank you for listening. You have a good weekend. And remember, on Tuesday, you have to come out and vote. Take care.